Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Good morning. Um, yeah, so this morning and today I was asked to um, preach on joy and mourning today. And so I figured I would start out by making it practical by giving out a little bit of joy this morning. All right, don't let it hit you. Don't let it hit you. Just giving out a little bit of joy this morning. One in the back for my brother-in-law. Maybe, maybe. And in exchange, so you get the joy in exchange for me having to pay for the joy that I just offered you, right? So I had to pay for that joy that I, that I offered you. And it seems like a bad exchange, right? It seems like a great exchange for you who received the joy, the almond joy, if you were wondering what was being thrown over your heads, the almond joy. Well, welcome if you're joining us online or here in the auditorium. Um, last week was Easter, and we began a new series titled Beauty for Ashes. Beauty for Ashes, Pastor Adrian kicked us off last Sunday, and we will continue in that today. If you will remember from last week, and if you weren't here last week, um, that's okay, I'm going to remind you, but last week we dove into the core text for this series, the core text for this teaching series. And while it's an Old Testament text found in Isaiah, an Old Testament text found in Isaiah, it is most definitely a Jesus text. And that is good news for us today. So let's hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. It'll be there on your version events. It'll be on the screen behind me. But we're going to start in Isaiah 61, and we're going to read the first three verses. Isaiah 61, the first three verses. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So briefly, the context of Isaiah, and Adrian touched on it last week, the context of Isaiah's prophetic words. We're reading the words of a prophet by the name of Isaiah in the Old Testament. God's people have been exiled from their land, and they long to return to the land that God had given them. They long to return and be the people of God that he has called them to be. And so these words would have lifted their spirits with hope of a day that would one day come. And so in Luke 4, in Luke 4, we pick up. And Jesus is now on the scene. Jesus is now on the scene, and he walks into the synagogue to read the word, 
to read from the prophet. He walks into the synagogue to teach. He is a, he is a rabbi, and people are, his fame is growing, and so he, he walks into the synagogue to teach. But you see, God's people still haven't experienced what Isaiah is speaking about. They're still under the oppression of the Roman rule. They still don't have that freedom and that joy, that rejoicing of just being one with God. They're still oppressed. And so Jesus walks onto the scene in Luke 4, beginning in verse 17. It says this, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, He found the place where it is written. Jesus found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls the scroll up and sits down. And so Jesus, very intentionally, in the gospel, points us to Isaiah 61. And so we were very intentional about going there to form this series. Because what comes next in Isaiah 61, what comes next in verses 2 and 3, is exactly what comes next in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' ministry embodies the prophetic words of Isaiah. And so, in this reading, Jesus has identified himself as the Messiah, as the bearer of good news to the poor, and he has invoked imagery reminiscent of the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee was an observance that Jews were to observe every 50 years. And every 50 years, all debt was to be forgiven, all property restored, all slaves set free. So every 50 years, God had worked into the system a grand reset, freedom, a new beginning. And so he evokes this imagery when he stands to read from the prophet Isaiah. Pastor Adrian mentioned last week that you might call Isaiah 61 three, three bad trades and a consequence. Three bad trades and a consequence. And so those are the focus for this four-week series. And last week, last week we celebrated the pinnacle of our faith, right? Easter, that Jesus is alive. Last week we celebrated Easter by focusing on that first promise to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And so today we move to the second promise, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Joy for mourning. Joy for mourning. But I want to go back up and read in verse 2 before we get into this, unpacking what this joy is that we're offered for our morning. In verse 2, the prophet writes, and Jesus, the Messiah, the one who fulfills these prophetic words, would embody this reality. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We've touched on that a little bit in the context of the year of Jubilee, what Isaiah's people would have heard. And the day of vengeance of our God. And to comfort all who mourn. And so you and I, we live, we live in the year of the Lord's favor. You see, in God's word, a year uh, sometimes doesn't actually mean 365 days. And so this is a time period that you and I now live in. We live in the year of the Lord's favor. And we live on this side, the before side of the day of vengeance. 
which says the Bible says that day will come like a thief in the night. But we live on this side of the day of vengeance. We live in the year of the Lord's favor. Do you see, as we get going this morning, how good God is? He said, there's going to be a year of my favor and just a day of vengeance. Now, the Bible says that for those in the end who have not repented of their sins, who have not turned from them and turned to him, who have not trusted in the finished work of Jesus, there will be a day of vengeance and a day of judgment. The Bible is clear about that. Jesus was clear about that. But he says, before that day comes, I'm going to offer you a year. That period is the time before his first coming and when he returns. A year of my favor. And Peter, one of his right-hand men, he, he versed this well in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Peter wrote these words. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. He is patient with you. He's going to give you a year of his favor, not wanting anyone to face the day of vengeance, but everyone to come to repentance. And that's good news before we even get going. See how good God is? And Jesus, Jesus, when he reads Isaiah, he doesn't, he doesn't even go into verse 3. He stops at the year of the Lord's favor. He says, hey, this time is beginning now. I'm here. And I'm setting in motion the year of the Lord's favor. But we continue to read in verse 3, and provide for those who grieve in Zion and to bestow, to provide and bestow, to provide and bestow. And in the original language, this double verb, and this is good stuff, this double verb imparts glowing intensity. Intensely emotional phrase is happening here. Jesus embodies what we're reading. He doesn't, he doesn't read it in the synagogue because he's about to live it. He says, I've come to provide for those who grieve and to bestow what we're about to read. But this double verb is impassioned with intensity. And we see that in the life of Jesus. He was impassioned with compassion and overflowing with God's love. To provide and to bestow on them last week a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. The oil of joy, and some of, your, some of your copies may say the oil of gladness. And oil doesn't mean quite as much to us today, right? But oil was extremely important in the Old Testament and how the Jews related to God. It was primarily a symbol of preparation and the Lord's presence. A symbol of his presence on his people. Hold on to that. Anointing with oil was, was used as a sign of consecration, as Jesus has just declared in verse 1. He says, the Spirit of the Lord ha has anointed me, has set me apart, has consecrated me. But it was, also, it was also used as part of joyful feasting that took place when messengers brought good news. They would use the oil as, as a celebration of joyful feasting. And so on occasions of grief or mourning, its use was, was laid aside. But what this passage declares, 
what the Messiah has come to do to offer the oil of joy for your mourning. It declares that the state of the destitute, the bowed, the oppressed will be reversed. Instead of being outcast, they will be welcomed. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And mourning, I don't have to, I don't have to really unpack that for you. Mourning is this designated period of time of mourning, of lament, of grief. It's a response to a traumatic life experience or a loss of some sort. And since every one of you are human, I don't have to explain that. He offers the oil of joy instead of mourning. But first, we got to understand what is this joy? Right? What is this joy that Jesus is now offering to you and I? What is this joy? Because we must understand what biblical joy is that Jesus offers to exchange for our mourning if we're to understand the power and relevance of this good news for us today. So what is this joy, this biblical joy that we're talking about today? This joy Jesus offers And we must understand what it's not to understand what it is, right? So Jesus offers this joy, and this joy is not an act of willpower. This is not an act of willpower as you would will yourself to brush your teeth, to put on your shoes. It's not an act of willpower. This joy is a spontaneous emotional response of the heart. John Piper says it this way. You can prepare for it. You can prepare for this joy. It's like lifting your sail on a still ocean, but you cannot make the wind blow. The spirit blows where it wills, and the joy, this joy, is a fruit of the spirit. It's not an act of willpower. It's a spontaneous a spontaneous emotional response of the heart to this joy that Jesus offers is not superficial and flimsy. This joy is not to be confused with happiness. When you get all the green lights going to work, you're probably not full of this joy. You might be joyful, but it ain't the joy that Jesus is offering you. Happiness is, is often flimsy and circumstantial. So this joy is not superficial and flimsy, but it is deep and it is firm. This joy that Jesus offers to you today. This joy, this biblical joy delights in God no matter what the external circumstances are. And the scripture, the scriptures describe this joy as actually flourishing right in the midst of pain and suffering. This joy is deep and it's firm. It's deep and it's firm. This joy that Jesus offers is not natural, pertaining to our our human nature, which is what precisely distinguishes this joy from all other joys that you might experience. I enjoy coffee. I get joy from my wife. I get joy from my kids. I get joy from a baseball game. But those are natural. That's part of my human nature. The joy that Jesus offers is spiritual, coming from the Holy Spirit. When we say something is spiritual, it has the essence of God's Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit's presence in our lives. The very joy of Christ 
fulfilled in us. And Paul penned in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, physical, natural, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This joy that Jesus offers is of the Holy Spirit. It's deep and firm and a spontaneous emotional response of the heart to his spirit. That's what this biblical joy is that you're being offered today. So why? Why is this exchange so wonderful? Under the surface of it all, why is this exchange so wonderful? That Jesus offers you today the oil of his joy, the comfort of his presence. Remember, oil was a symbolic um, symbol of God's presence. And Jesus offers that to you today for your mourning and your grief and your pain and your trauma. And this is the best illustration that I got. Is if one of my children, my little girl's almost five, my little boy's almost two, If one of my children, if Ella gets hurt, if Ella gets hurt, if she she falls and scrapes her knee, or maybe something just hurt her feelings, right? Maybe she's emotionally hurt. Maybe it's not a boo-boo on the outside. Maybe it's a boo-boo inside. What happens next? She comes running to daddy or mommy, right? And if you were a kid at one point, Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've had kids, or maybe you just know a kid, you know what I'm talking about. She comes running to daddy or mommy when she's hurt, whether it's physically or emotionally, and daddy picks her up. Now my kiss, my touch, it doesn't heal her literally, unless God's doing something I can't see. It doesn't doesn't heal her literally, but the presence Oh, this is good. The presence of her daddy brings the comfort and the strength and the joy despite the pain that brought her to me in the first place. The presence brings her the strength and the joy. Tears are flowing, and in one kiss, she's back to playing. Something happens. There's some exchange that just happened that I can't see. But there's something about the presence. Why is this exchange so wonderful? It's because in the difficulty of transition, God is our constant. In the frailness of aging, God is our strength. In the darkness of depression, God is our hope. God is not waiting for us on the other side of our suffering. He meets us in our suffering. Steph just testified to this in her story. She said, walking moment by moment in God's grace, his mercy, in his love, and standing on what I knew to be true. Standing on what I knew to be true instead of what I felt like. This Brothers and sisters, this is the marvelous news of Isaiah 61 and the declaration of Jesus in Luke 4. That God has come into the midst of your mourning and your grief to offer you a great exchange. 
It's a trade that seems too good to be true. But it is so. Trading our earthly mourning for the joy of Jesus himself. Our good news God gives a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of despair. But it's not like the ashes and the mourning and the despair are not real in your life. That's not what I'm saying this morning. They are. They are as real as the tomb that held Jesus' body. But just like that tomb, they're also temporary. Somebody ought to say amen. Somebody ought to say amen this morning. You may lay battered. You may lay battered in a tomb of bad news for three days or for a stretch of miserable months or perhaps for a few hard years. But Sunday is always coming. And God will, if you'll receive it, God will exchange your death for resurrection. Yes, and surely offers you his joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even in the midst of your mourning. One author wrote, As you trace God's providence in the stories of Scripture, you can see a pattern emerge. You can see a pattern emerge. God brings good news to his burdened people as surely as he brings sunshine after rain. He testifies to it. It it, it can be found in the pages of the Scripture that that is true to God's character. The psalmist penned it this way in Psalm 30 and verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. There's a connection there, right? The year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance, his anger lasts a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night. I don't know how long that night's going to be. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Rejoicing comes in the morning. And so in Christ, there is a morning after your morning. There is a morning after your morning. He promises a new day is on the horizon. You can take it to the bank. Because the bottom line for us today, the truth about this exchange is that happiness is found in circumstance. Happiness is found in circumstance. Joy is found in Christ. Happiness is found in circumstance. But joy, joy is found in Christ. But before we conclude our time in God's word today, there's a relationship between hope and joy that we must address. There's an intimate relationship between hope and joy that we must address. Matthew Henry, minister and commentator, put it like this. He said, the joy and peace of believers arise chiefly from their hopes. Did you hear that? The joy and peace of believers arise chiefly from their hopes. What is laid out upon them is but little compared with what is laid up for them. 
Therefore, the more hope they have, the more joy and peace they have. Christians should desire and labor after an abundance of hope. After an abundance of hope. So then the question this morning is, what or who are you placing your ultimate hope in today? What are you placing your hope in? Is it your job? Is it your finances? Is it the government? Is it an earthly relationship? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it your health? Is it yourself? Your best efforts? What is your ultimate hope in today? Because the answer to that question will affect your joy. Why? Because true joy, this kind of joy that Jesus offers, is directly sourced by the honest answer to that question. Not circumstantial joy. That's too flimsy. Because the fruit of biblical hope, where your hope is placed, the fruit of biblical hope is this joy that we're talking about today. So yeah, you can't essentially choose joy. But you can choose to hope in the right direction. Or better yet, in the right person. I think you know his name. He's the one who fulfilled the words of the prophet Isaiah that we began with. The one who brings good news to the oppressed, the meek, the lowly, the one who binds up the brokenhearted, the one who sets free those who have been held captive, the one who releases prisoners from their sin debt. Do you know him today? Is your hope in him alone today? Because in our darkest times, or even when the days seem to bleed together with a reel of disappointing news. Have you felt that? He, he offers us his joy in exchange for what we're experiencing. And listen, I know there are some of you listening to this message right now who are in such a place that you may not even be able to imagine experiencing joy again. You've experienced things that I can't pretend to fully understand. You're grieving. You're mourning the loss of a loved one, the loss of health, the loss of perspective, the loss of hope, the loss of resources, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a dream. And if, it's that, if that's you today, I believe the Lord says to you this morning, your circumstances are real. I know they're real because I weep with you. I'm with you in them even now. But remember, son, remember, daughter, these circumstances are temporary. Fix the eyes of your heart on me and my word. Because I bring you a promise. And I believe this clip of Jesus from the chosen beautifully communicates this reality. When I was a little girl, my father told me the Messiah would 
bring an end to pain and suffering. If you are who people are saying you are, when will you do that? I'm here to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom that is not of this world. A kingdom that is coming soon. Where, yes, sorrow and sighing will flee away. I make a way for people to access that kingdom. But in this world, bones will still break. Hearts will still break. But in the end, the light will overcome darkness. In the end, the light will overcome darkness. And this is why we can exchange our mourning for his joy, yes, even now. It's because the ultimate hope in our time of grief and mourning and pain and for our entire lives is not in our circumstances, but rather something deeper. It's in the foundational truth based upon the word of God that we believe our God is for us and he will work all things for our good and his ultimate glory as we trust in him. And so the miracle of Easter, I know that was last week. I need it this week. I don't know about you. The miracle of Easter means his seemingly bad trade is our tremendous blessing. So what do we say in response? Perhaps this is your prayer. Would you stand this morning as we prepare to respond, to worship, to pray? Perhaps this is your prayer this morning. Yes, Lord. I receive your word and I invite you to transform my heart. I choose to place all my hope in you and your loving care of me today and every moment after. I want your joy. I want it to fill up my life because I know you came for me. And Jesus, that changes everything. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.